want to welcome our friend, Joel Osterland. He's been helping us out, and so please come up and give us what Lord has laid on your heart. Let's give him a clap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to start by reading our scripture for us this morning. It's the gospel according to Matthew, first chapter. He begins showing the genealogy of Jesus, and then verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what, she, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I was just here a couple of weeks ago, and at that time, my wife, Mary Lee, was able to join me. Uh, this week, today, she's in Arizona. And I said, how good is your life? And then I asked, well, why don't I get to go to Arizona? And she said, they're not your parents. Well, we're going in February together, though, so that'll be nice. Um, and then I actually, one of my thoughts in, in my life is how good is my life, really? <clears throat> well, it'd be fun to be in Arizona. I'm really glad to be here. I, I mean, there's some humor in that, but it's true. Yeah. Most of you probably don't know, so I am a chaplain at Mayo, and I'm on the team that works with the dying. I'm on our hospice team. And the folks that do that, one of the things that we realize is when we work with the dying, which is actually trying to help them live, give them the best life possible for as long, is they teach us what's important in life and help us to reprioritize all the time. <laughs> and I was mindful this morning, better is one day in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. We are in that special time of year, <clears throat> the season of advertising. It seems like we are always inundated with ads, but there's something about Christmas time when we perhaps pay more attention to ads. It's at this time of year that we are looking for that special gift to give someone, or perhaps thinking about what to add to our own Christmas list for 
people that maybe are asking, well, what should I get you for Christmas? Like, oh, nothing, and then we, maybe we see something. Well, actually, you could get me this. The role of the ad is to say that you need this product in your life in order to fulfill whatever need is in your life. Or sometimes that order is reversed. That is, the ad will say, because you have this need in your life, our product can help you fulfill that need. Sometimes ads overpromise. Companies overpromise with their product. And I have found five different ads that are fairly outrageous that have come and gone over the years to illustrate what I am talking about. So this ad says, for a better start in life, start with cola. I think we've learned to not start life with cola to have a better start in life. A little bit of overpromise. Cocoa Krispies now help support your child's immunity. Who knew sugary cereals did that? Wow. I better get me some Cocoa Krispies. Lance's uh, secret weapon to unlock and sustain natural energy, can boost energy, support immune systems, enhance fitness, this, whatever this FRS, healthy energy. We've learned that wasn't Lance's actually secret weapon, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Palm, you can cheat death. That's an, what an overpromise. I mean, what? Superpower. Where's the last one? <laughs> there is no way a woman made this ad. I'm sorry. There is no way. But I really want my wife to be happy Christmas morning, so I'm going to go buy her a Hoover. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Hoovers are nice, but vacuums, yeah, I mean, it, it happens, and that's fine, but it's just a great, yeah. As the result of overpromising, what has happened over the years is that companies will get sued for false advertising. They'll have to pull the ad from, the campaign, from their campaign, and they don't have proof that their ad, their product does what their ad said it will do. And there's nothing wrong with advertising per se. In fact, if it weren't for advertising on some level, we would never know about a product or, or a service and how it can meet a need in our life. So there's a place for it. And it's this time of year, this Advent season, as we're waiting, as we're anticipating to come and celebrate that Christmas morning, the birth of Jesus, um, it hit me that Christmas story, it all started with advertising. Now, it didn't start with God using billboards along the roads, although there was a host of angels that appeared in the sky to some shepherds. What I'm thinking about when I say that Christmas time is a time of advertising, it's about the prophets that foretold Jesus' birth hundreds of years before it happened and how then this message was passed down from generation to generation. The prophets had a message about a coming Savior, the need that people had was to be right with God. Our human nature has caused a rift between God and us. And so we needed someone to bridge that rift. 
We needed someone to be able to wipe away all of our actions, our thoughts, and our words that went against God and how He has intended humans to live. We needed someone to wipe away our sins. But it, but it couldn't be just someone, meaning it couldn't be any other person, any other human. It had to be um, someone that was bigger. So no other human person would be good enough to wipe away the sins for themselves, much less for all of the world, for every human that has lived and that ever will live. What we needed was God to bridge the gap. It had to be God who washed us clean. It had to be God who restored the relationship. And so what did God do? God the Father sent God the Son in human form. And this is the Christmas story. God did not just send Jesus to have him show up and no one know about it. God first had a multi-hundred-year ad campaign letting people know to be on the lookout for the one who saves. The book of Matthew starts by telling people how Jesus is the one who fulfills the prophetic message about the Messiah. People had been waiting and waiting and waiting, perhaps doubting, perhaps wondering, perhaps questioning whether or not the Messiah was ever going to come. Even though there was doubt and wonder and questioning, people would still have hope. They would hope. They were hopeful that God would be true to his word spoken by the prophets and indeed send the Messiah. This hope gave, there's a power behind it. This, and there is a, a tremendous power when people have hope. It's a powerful force that energizes people to keep moving forward. Matthew was writing to both Jews um, who had been waiting for the Messiah to come into the pagan Gentiles who were also looking for salvation. The book was written as an evangelistic tool to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew wanted them to know that their hope had been fulfilled. He is telling the reader then, and he is telling the reader now, us, that what you have been waiting for, the one that you have been waiting for, the Messiah, is here. Your hope has been fulfilled. In the first two chapters in the book of Matthew, it shows multiple prophecies that Jesus' birth, the multiple prophecies that Jesus' birth fulfills. So what we're going to see is the prophecy and then where Matthew references it. First, that Messiah would be born of a woman. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, that the Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac, that the Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob, that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, that would be a heir to King, to King David's throne, that the Messiah would be called Emmanuel, that the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt, and that there would be a massacre of children that would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. So in these first two chapters of, Messiah, of Matthew, these 11 different prophecies Matthew is showing happen. Israel's hope in the Messiah was finally fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Matthew did not want people to miss the connection. 
If people missed the connection, then their hope would never be fulfilled. If people did miss the connection, then they would place their hope in something else, and it would be a misplaced hope. Our hope in Jesus is never a misplaced hope. So it's important for us to see this connection today. And my sense is that many of you have, if not everyone already sitting here this morning. You have made this connection, and you have responded. You have responded by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah. You trust Him as Lord and Savior. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect life, who died and rose again in order to restore a relationship between humans and God. Many of you have experienced the forgiveness of sins. You have experienced the weight of sin being lifted off of your shoulders. You have experienced God's presence, peace, mercy, and love. You've experienced the power of prayer, of reconciliation happening in families. Well, this may be true, I don't know, for most of you, if not all of you, it may be true for everyone. There could be someone here today, someone wondering. They question, is there really a need for Jesus? Remember how I said how advertising works? (laughs) It works by identifying the need that people have and then showing a product or service that will meet that need. Some may wonder if a person really does need Jesus. They look at their life and say, I'm a good person. They might compare their life to someone else and say, well, I don't live my life like they do, so I must be good with God. That other person, now they're the one who's far from God, but not me. They may even have some spiritual practices in their life which help them experience the presence of God. Going outside in nature, I can experience God. That's great. That's God's general presence, but the special revelation comes through the Son of Jesus. The need of Jesus is not compared, is not based on how we compare ourselves to others around us. The need for Jesus is compared to God's standard for our life, a standard which happens to be impossible for anyone to meet. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And because we fall short, we are then separated from God. This makes it sound like God is far off. It makes it sound like we're unable to connect with God, but, but God is not far off, and this is why Jesus came. This is what makes Jesus' coming as a baby so exciting. It is God with us. God came to be with us, to pave the way for us to be in relationship with Him. And all we have to do is believe. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast. If you have not paused in your life to take a moment and intentionally place your faith in Jesus, that is, to believe that Jesus is indeed God's Son who lived, died, and rose, well, today is the day to do just that. If you are realizing that you do have a need for forgiveness from God because you don't measure up to God's standards, today is the day to receive that forgiveness. You can right now in your heart say yes to Jesus. You can say, yes, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, the Savior of the world who died, who lived and died and rose again 
for my life and for the salvation of all the world. In your mind and in your heart, you can ask God to forgive you. You can to wash you clean, to help you live according to his standards. It just takes a moment. In some ways, it feels too easy. It can't be that easy, we ask. But here's the beauty. <laughs> this is the beauty and wonder of God. As that Ephesians verse says, it's because of God's grace that we are able to be saved. No amount of human effort is ever enough. But the simple step of accepting and believing is all that we need to do to make it happen. May today be the day, may this moment be the moment for you to take this simple step. Some of you, in fact, again, my guess is most of you have already done that step. Your hope in a Savior has been fulfilled. But if this is all that you are hoping for from Jesus, I can tell you that there is more. If all you are hoping for from Jesus is to someday be in heaven to have fire insurance from Jesus, as they say, then I can tell you that there is more to hope for because there is more that Jesus offers. In John 10, Jesus was talking to a crowd of people and reveals to them the reason he came. As Jesus is talking, he says he has come to sacrifice his life so that those who come to him will be saved and then he says this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The NLT translated it as Jesus saying, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Uh, John, in the ESV, it is translated as, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came that we may have a full rich, satisfying, abundant life here and now. This is not a claim saying that someday you'll experience this when you're in heaven. It's a claim that says, as you walk with me today, as you are in relationship with me now, as you live out my kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, you can have a full, rich, satisfying, abundant life. Dare we hope for such an experience? Can we really hope to have a life where this is true? Or is this some kind of outrageous claim Jesus is making, just like the ads that we saw at the start of the sermon? Is this some kind of false advertising by Jesus? I would say the need is certainly present. As humans, we have a need for a full, rich, satisfying, abundant life. This is something that we seek. The question is, is where are, you find, where, are you, where are you trying to find this kind of life? Are you putting your hope in Jesus, who says this life experience is found in me? Or are you putting your hope somewhere else? I want to look at three areas of life where it's easy for us to misplace our hope for this kind of life. And the first one is material goods. It's easy to place our hope in material goods. We live in a consumeristic society. Our economy thrives when people acquire more and more goods, owning more and more stuff. It's easy to think, if I have this object or more of these items, then I will live an abundant life. Much of our advertising is this basic message. 
And it's easy to get caught up in it. I would say that we all have our own sort of possession, our own certain material possession that we place our hope in for life. For some people, it may be the latest gadget. Some people place their hope in the latest phone or computer or tablet to experience that abundant life. They got to have it. Others might try to find a satisfying life in owning the right kind of car or furniture or clothing or shoes or jewelry. Other possessions that some people seem to need include pieces of artwork or musical instruments or outdoor equipment, and the list could go on and on and on. As I look at my life uh, and where I can misplace my hope, it's not necessarily any of those things I listed, but for me, it's any product that is hunting-related. There is a part of me that thinks, if I just have one more gun or one more deer stand, or one more trail camera that sends pictures to my phone as the deer walks by, then my life will be full. It's easy to put my hope in material goods in an attempt to find a fulfilled life. Christmas, Christmas time is a great reminder of how easy it is to do this. It seems that each year there is a a new hot item, a new hot toy that is a must-have for kids. The phenomenon of must-have Christmas toys goes back decades, or now 100 years. Going back to the 1920s, the must-have Christmas gift for kids back then included the teddy bear and the yo-yo. Two items that still tend to be given to kids at some point in their childhood. As we move forward in time, in the 30s and 40s, we were introduced to Legos, and still is a a kid favorite, Um, and in my household, it's an adult favorite as well. The 1950s brought the hula hoop, Mr. Potato Head, and Barbie. The 1960s introduced G.I. Joe, an easy-bake oven. A hot item in the 70s was the video game Pong. The 80s gave us Rubik's Cube, My Little Pony, Cabbage Patch Kids, Transformers, and Nintendo. The 90s, it was Game Boy, Beanie Babies, and Tickle Me Elmo. 2000s was Zuzu Pets, Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, PlayStation 3, and iPod Touch. Looking at what's selling in 2022, according to today, the number one Item is this level-up gaming chair for kids. That's the top left. It's for the budding tech lover. Number two, Barbie Little Dream House by Little People, top right. Three is Monster Jam Garage Playset. And number four is Play-Doh Kitchen Creations Ultimate Ice Cream Truck. You got to love the marketing strategies. It's not just an ice cream truck, but it's the ultimate ice cream truck. Why were these toys must-haves over the years? Must-have. Because people were placing their hope in a new item that will bring a full life. Looking at this begs a follow-up question, which is, why is there a new toy every year? The reason is, is people realize that the item last year did not bring the full life. And so they go looking for something else that will. 
It's important to think about the unintended message of Christmas gifts in a consumeristic society. When we go out and buy the hot item for the year, whether it be for a child or for an adult, we are actually placing our hope, or let me ask the question, are we actually placing the hope in a satisfying life through that item? Now, I realize that there may not be That may not be the intentional reason, our upfront reason of why we're buying the gift. And I I agree with and will say that gift giving is a way to show love. Um, We do this because this is how Jesus showed us love. He gave, so we give. So hear me saying that. But I also want us, it's a warning of sorts from me to you. Is there an unintended message here as well? Two thoughts for us this Christmas. One being, how will you uniquely live out the hope that you have in Jesus as the only way to find a fulfilled life? And then second, well, might you consider not getting your child or spouse or friend or family member the new hot item on the market? And in doing so, (laughs) help them realize that the rich, satisfying life is actually not found in material goods. Second area that we look for a full, rich, satisfying life is in money. Our society and the world, really, we are told that a good life comes when we have a good amount of money. I think this is the underlying message of watching the stock market, not only in the U.S., but watching the markets in other major countries. We are told to worry, to have anxiety, to be upset when the Dow Jones drops. It can be easy to hear and believe that the message um, of more money means more happiness, that more money means greater satisfaction in life. But this is not necessarily true. In fact, study after study after lottery winners have proven this fact. More money does not mean those things. In fact, more money could mean more misery. Money can be a divisive entity in family relationships. As I have cared for family members in the hospital and on hospice, I remember one time there was a family who was gathered to say goodbye to their mom, but one family member storms out of the room in anger because they are upset with how the will was written. They wanted more of an inheritance and refused to be with their other family members until that will was changed. The Bible has many warnings about money. One here in 1 Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Money itself is not good or evil. What is good or evil is our approach to money how we use money, our attitude towards money. If you're placing your hope in money 
to give you the full life that Jesus promises, then that's not good. Money cannot do that for you. It may provide the fulfillment in a moment, but as Scripture says, being eager for money can lead to grief. We are to be content with what we have. Now, my point isn't to say that money doesn't have a place in our lives, um, or I'm not trying to say that we should not follow sound money management principles and investment strategies. I think that's important and we need to do that. What I am saying is that, and I'm not saying that people should quit their jobs and no longer earn money to provide a life for themselves, for their family, or to provide for others in deep need. Our society works with this exchange of money, so we need that. My point is, is that you don't have to place your hope in money to have a rich and satisfying life. There will always be someone that has more money than you. But there does not have to always be someone that has a fuller life than you. Did you get that? There will always be someone who will have more money than you. But there does not have to be someone who will have a fuller life than you. The full life is found in Jesus, and it's not dependent on the amount of money that you do or do not have. A third area that I see people placing their hope in for the full life is experiences. The travel and tourism world tells us that we need multiple experiences. We need to travel. We need, we need to go on a cruise. We need to go to Europe, to Africa, to South America, to Australia, to Alaska, to the West Coast. We need to go to the East Coast. We need to go to the National Parks. We need to explore Minnesota, discover Wisconsin, and inspect Iowa to have a full life. Now, I made that up about Iowa. I don't know if that's their catchy phrase, but... Explore Minnesota and discover Wisconsin. That is their marketing. <clears throat> Here again, we can see how people do indeed attempt to fill their life with experience after experience, but then can still lack the full life. And I actually have a plea <laughs> to the baby boomer generation. As a Gen Xer and other generations behind me, my plea is that you would lead us, the following generations, as you continue to follow God in your retirement. Show us that life is not about accumulating experience after experience, but life is about following God in faith. We are looking to you. The church is looking to you. God is asking you to show us how the abundant life is found in Jesus in retirement. I am mindful of one of my classmates in seminary. It was a guy who taught high school students for 30 plus years. This was his whole career. And not only was he a teacher, but then he was also a football and a wrestling coach. And at the end of that career, he felt God calling him to seminary in order to be a pastor. So that's what he did. <laughs> he went back to school for five years to get a master's of divinity because in his mind he wasn't going to retire instead he was going to pro-tire he was moving on to something else he was continuing a life of following jesus 
And as he was doing that, he was living a full, rich, satisfying, abundant life that Jesus promises. God with us, Emmanuel. This prophecy that was first spoken by Isaiah was then fulfilled when Jesus was born. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that fulfills our hope for a Savior. And each day, we can respond to that truth and say in our heart, Today, Lord, I trust you and will follow you with my life. And as we do that, we also have a second hope fulfilled. The second hope of an abundant life that's not found in possessions, it's not found in money, it's not found in experience, but it's found in Jesus. May both of these hopes in your life be fulfilled this Christmas season. Amen.